Calvinism is awesome. Okay, I just put my cards on the table. I'm a Calvinist. And recently I saw Leighton Flowers in an interview talking about Calvinism and describing why he left it. But there was just something about this whole thing that left a bad taste in my mouth. I feel like when I listen to non-Calvinists or former Calvinists describe Calvinism, they don't really understand what they're talking about. Okay, that might be a little generalization. And so what is the problem with people who have a problem with Calvinism? Let's find out. You may never have heard the name Leighton Flowers, but he is the director of evangelism and apologetics for Texas Baptists and pastor of several years and also a college professor, I think, at one point. He makes his rounds speaking against Calvinism as a former Calvinist. Now, this is something you may not be well-versed on, but Calvinism is this theological stance that developed throughout church history. Uh, Many people like myself believe it to be biblical and an expression of the things that not only Jesus and Paul taught, but also the Old Testament, uh, even the Apocrypha. It's this idea that that God chose us, that we didn't choose our salvation, that God chooses us and elects us to come to know him. So Leighton is a former Calvinist, and he'll tell you in his testimony that he was turned off to it, turned off to these doctrines. I think in his words, Calvinism uh, goes beyond just this idea that I just explained of predestination and election and dives into the area of predeterminism. You'll actually hear many anti-Calvinists say this. If you aren't familiar with Calvinism, Calvinism typically is taught in five points, and they use the acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. The T stands for total depravity. It's this idea that people are totally depraved apart from God, and uses scriptures like, in the days of Noah, God saw that the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Romans 3, 23, that says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a plethora of other ones. It basically takes this idea that we're all aware of, inherently we will not choose God. And so that's the total, that's the T in TULIP, total depravity, not partial, total. Come on, admit it. You're totally depraved. The U stands for unconditional election, and that just basically means that God chose you. You didn't choose God. God chose you. I'm thinking about uh, scriptures from Deuteronomy where God says that he chose Israel not because they were the most mighty, the best looking nation in the world. He chose them because of his love for them. I'm thinking of scriptures like where Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would bear fruit and your fruit would remain. Limited atonement, the L stands for limited atonement. And, and, and uh, contrary to what it sounds like, it doesn't mean that God is limited in any way. He is completely and comprehensively powerful to save those whom he chooses to save. So it's this idea that Jesus died for those who he elected, and his sacrifice on the cross was completely powerful to save those. The uh, T-U-L. I, I, the I in TULIP stands for irresistible grace. It's this idea that all whom the Father draws will come to him. When God speaks to you and he starts to open the eyes of your heart to him, you ain't saying no. And come on, let's be honest. How many of y'all can relate with that? When God starts to speak to you, you ain't running the other direction.
And finally, the P in TULIP stands for Perseverance of the Saints. This is uh, in popular vernacular referred to as eternal security. Maybe you've heard that terminology before in a church. Once you know Christ and you have this thing we call salvation, you can't lose it. It ain't going anywhere. That's Calvinism. In a nutshell, in popular terminology, again, it's called Calvinism because this guy, John Calvin, who lived like 500 years ago, the contemporary of Martin Luther, he was building off of people like St. Augustine, uh, giants of the faith, who in turn believed that they were building off of the doctrines of the Apostle Paul. So now that you kind of know Calvinism in a nutshell, let's dive into this video and see what Mr. Layton's problem is. Does anybody else think it's interesting that his last name is Flowers? Like Tulip? For those that may not be familiar with the discussion, Calvinism basically, if I were to sum it up in a, a very small nutshell, and again, Calvinists are it's not a monolithic group. There's all different kinds of Calvinists and different heights of Calvinism. But if I were to mm -hmm. summarize the major point of Calvinism, it is the idea that everyone is born because of the fall of Adam. When Adam sinned, everyone is born in a condition where they will always hate and reject the gospel. They're just their, their nature is so corrupt from birth that when they hear the gospel, they don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to have anything to do with the things of God by nature. I mean, it's not by accident that it happened. God created it that way. He's the one who designed all things and decreed all things that come to pass on Calvinism. And so you you're born a God-hater naturally, mm -hmm. unless he picked you before you were born. That's duck, unconditional duck, election. Right, yeah. exactly. So <laughs> he picked you, and you don't know why he picked who he picks, but he picked certain people before the world was created. And those people, That's he gives a, a irresistible grace, they call it, factual calling. They use different vernacular, but ultimately, you're born not able to want God unless he wanted you. Mm -hmm. And if he wants you, then he'll make you want him. He'll give you this irresistible grace that causes your very nature to change and make you want to worship and follow him. And those are the ones he sent Jesus to die for, his elect. And if you're elected and you've been irresistibly graced, then you'll stay as a part of his people because it's irresistible and you mm -hmm. won't ever abandon the faith. I think that sums it up quite well, uh, except for, you know, the negative tone that he's using to describe it. Um, to me, it seems like what the Bible teaches. Let's continue. That's Calvinism in a nutshell. I think I'm being mm -hmm. pretty fair yeah, in the way yeah. I've just laid it yeah, out. And fair. I just reject that wholeheartedly now mm -hmm. because I don't believe the Bible teaches it. A lot of people might reject it just because it sounds hard to swallow or because it's not emotionally sitting well with them. Your intuition, you know, kind of pushes back on it. And I get that, but that's not usually a good reason to dismiss a doctrine just because of emotional reasons, because there's some doctrines that are emotionally difficult to sure. uh, hold to. Yeah. And so yeah, we yeah. need to be biblical, but I've been firmly convinced over the course of my study that the Bible just doesn't teach these Calvinistic doctrines. Mm -hmm. And so I've provided on my broadcast help for people to understand passages that are difficult, like Romans right. chapter nine, for example, or Ephesians chapter one, so that people can understand theologically where a non-Calvinistic scholar might come to their conclusions based upon those texts that seem to be supporting Calvinism, maybe at first mm -hmm. reading. My little criticism so far of what he's saying is uh, I've seen him in several different interviews, debates. In fact, maybe you have too. Uh, if you are interested in this topic, there's a good chance if you just <laughs> type in Calvinism uh, into you know the, the search feed, you'll see his name pop up, possibly a debate with James White, who he's gone head to head with several times. But in my opinion, I, I know that he says that he's doing this just because he thinks it's biblical. But the pushback I would give is the amount of scriptures he has to sort of reinterpret through another framework in order to arrive at his conclusions. And in my opinion, it also seems like 
he just has beef with this idea that God chooses us because he doesn't think it's fair. In addition, sometimes I just kind of feel like he and other people who talk about this are misrepresenting Calvinism to others, which kind of leads to this idea that maybe they don't fully understand it themselves. And a lot of it rests on their understanding, Calvinist understanding of predestination. The word predestination is kind of central and key. And most of the time that's a reflection of this idea that God is predestined whatsoever comes to pass. But most specifically, he is predestined who will and won't believe in him. Right. And, and so where I would push back on that is I think predestination is more about what God has determined beforehand will happen mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. those who are in Christ. Mm-hmm. So a good example I've given that helps people a lot, it seems, is here in the city of Dallas where I'm at. If there was a storm coming and, and God sent a messenger, an angel, to warn the inhabitants here in Dallas, hey, a storm's coming. Uh, I'm going to put a fortress in the middle of the city. If you mm-hmm. get into that fortress, you will live. But everybody who is outside that fortress will surely die. Mm -hmm. And so it has been determined beforehand, this is what's going to happen to everyone inside the fortress, and this is what's going to happen to everyone outside the fortress. Well, some people believe the message and some people don't. And so some people get into the fortress and other people stay out and just think, Mm -hmm. oh, that's superstition. I'll be fine. And the storm comes. And of course, everybody in the fortress lives and everyone outside the fortress perishes. Mm -hmm. Um, And you could say after that story, everyone inside that fortress was predestined, destined beforehand to live. Mm -hmm. And everyone outside that fortress was predestined to die. But notice I haven't said anything Anything about God determining who would and would right. not get into the fortress. Right. And that's right, 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 our right. view of predestination. It's called a corporate view of predestinations, what mm-hmm. is referred to in the theological structure. Okay, so uh, what he's doing here is uh, giving an alternative explanation for what this word predestined and elect means in the Bible, because you do see it in multiple, multiple places, right? We see it in Ephesians chapter one. We see it all over the place, really. Jesus talked about the elect in Matthew 24, that the elect could not even be deceived, you know? Um, That sounds to me like perseverance of the saints. Nonetheless, people who don't agree with this doctrine have to come up with some kind of an alternative theological structure through which to understand the Bible, right? I mean, everybody deals with this to one degree or another because the Bible sometimes seems to say contradictory things. It certainly doesn't. But I think one of the questions is, would this interpretation be accurate? Now, one of the things that you will hear him go on to say is that Calvinists believe in predeterminism. And honestly, this just isn't true. Calvinists don't believe Everything is predetermined. We do believe that God ordained all things according to the counsel of his will, but mankind is still responsible for sin, and we still have free will. People still choose to do the things that they do every single day. So, Cal- I don't, in fact, I don't know a single Calvinist who doesn't believe in free will. Not a single one. Not a single guy I went to school with. Uh, not a single pastor or person. Actually, I know one guy. Oh, yeah. But that doesn't really matter because true Calvinists don't disregard free will. We just believe, the Bible teaches, that people will always choose themselves apart from God's working in their lives. So when I hear that, and you'll hear that in a moment here, uh, it, man, it just gets me because it isn't true. Calvinists do believe in free will. Anyone and everyone can get under Christ, the fortress, Mm -hmm. can get in him through faith so Mm -hmm. as to be saved. And if you don't get into Christ, the fortress that's been provided for us, that's your own fault. It's Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. because God didn't really want you or Jesus didn't die for you or because he created you for uh, destruction as a reprobate or something like that. Okay, so uh, can they though? Can a person? We know that the gospel call goes out generally speaking to all. 
but not everyone hears it. And this was something that Paul wrestled with. This was something that they wrestled with in the Old Testament. The call has gone out. The good news has gone out, but not all have heeded God's word. And why is that? Maybe it's because the unregenerate person who God has not changed on the inside literally cannot choose God. I think that actually makes a lot of sense when you look at what's going on out there in the world. Our, our, our theology does hold to a robust doctrine of predestination. It's mm-hmm. just not the Calvinistic, more fatalistic yeah. sounding doctrine. Yes. And so I help people to understand we don't just throw aside election and predestination. Sure. We don't just ignore those passages. We have robust theological answers <laughs> for difficult passages that are oftentimes yeah. misunderstood by even well-intending Christians and theologians. Yeah. And you're running it back with it's Dr. James White, just right? That there's a lot of those. Another debate coming we up are here? in Houston on March the 7th. We'll be debating over John chapter 6. John chapter 6, if you've never read it, says this in verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So it's that idea the Father offers this irresistible grace to people. And if God draws you, you will come to the Son. In verse 40, he says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is the idea of, uh, actually, a couple of different ideas, perseverance of the saints, that those who look to Jesus with faith will always be saved. They may stumble, but in the end, they will persevere and Jesus will take them to heaven. And the idea of limited atonement, where Jesus died for his elect only. Jesus continues this idea when he says in verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. So uh, this is, you know, just one passage, but you definitely see very prevalently these ideas of election, chosenness, uh, God working in our lives, God dying for us, for his children, for his elect ones, and that he's going to take us all the way to glory. This wasn't something we did for ourselves. This wasn't a decision we made. I I tell people all the time in my testimony, I didn't just wake up one day and decide to follow Jesus. God drew me to him. God opened the eyes of my heart. God actually gave me a new nature to allow me to express faith in him. That's one of the things Paul taught. He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, what happens when a person hears the gospel is that they are made alive on the inside. This is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And the cry of that new nature is to express faith in the message that we just heard. This faith in turn pleases God and produces the justification by which we have a relationship with him. The conclusion of secular humanism is that free will does not exist. And so I find it very interesting that the secular humanists and the Calvinists align on the reality that free will doesn't exist. Totally different perspectives. The Calvinist is saying it's whatever God wills, and the secular humanist is saying you're just a combination of your hard wiring and your biology. And I Mm -hmm. think any person that's intellectually honest that 
has experienced any bit of life will tell you that free will absolutely does exist. This is exactly what I was talking about, this idea that Calvinists don't believe in free will. It just It's just not true. Calvinists um, actually just, they believe in free will. They believe that people freely choose sin. This is the teaching of the Bible that it started with our first parents in the garden, and that we intrinsically just choose sin. It doesn't mean that we never do anything good. It just means that we are sinners. We can't not be sinners. Having faith in God, in the gospel, is something totally different than helping a little old lady across the street, which you can see in any culture that doesn't even have an awareness of who Jesus is. Knowing and understanding the gospel is what pleases God. That's the thing we cannot do, according to John chapter 6 and other passages, apart from God's working in our heart. The reformer Martin Luther wrote The Bondage of the Will, and Jonathan Edwards, the American theologian, wrote The Freedom of the Will. The idea is that in Christ, our will is actually truly freed. So God sets us free. The Apostle Paul said it is for freedom that Christ sets us free. Calvinists believe in free will. I I woke up this morning and I made a lot of choices as to what I was going to eat, as to what I was going to do. The idea behind Calvinism is not predeterminism. The idea behind Calvinism or Reformed theology is that we can't have true freedom of the will until God opens the eyes of our hearts and gives us victory over our sin nature. A lot of Calvinists, they have the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary in that sense, because mm. a lot of them will affirm that that they hold to a, a form of free will. And when you get into the philosophy of it, it's the difference between compatibilistic free will versus libertarianly free will, libertarian free will. And then that gets into the nuanced differences on how that works. And basically what compatibilism says is that's the kind of the Calvinistic version of free will. And what they're saying is that you're free as long as you're doing what you want. But mm. what's the problem with that is what you want is determined by your nature from birth. So you're Mm -hmm. born Mm -hmm. wanting to reject the gospel because of your very nature that God decreed you to have. Mm -hmm. But they would call that free because you're not doing something against your will. It's that your will is broken and you will always choose to reject the things of God because that's your will from birth. Mm -hmm. And I just still don't see that as a significant basis on which to base human culpability. This gets back to something I was talking about previously where I think it actually seems like Leighton Flowers has this inherent issue with election with God's choice not being fair. And that's the way a lot of people are. But he always comes back to this. And from a Calvinist perspective, someone coming from the other side of the aisle doesn't have a mechanism to produce faith. He calls his view provisionism, meaning that God has provided the person the ability to have faith. But the truth of the matter is, this ultimately leads us down the path of not having an assurance of whether we will have faith tomorrow. Now, he may disagree with that, and others might too. But I think, truthfully, if you answer this question for yourself and you say, Who produced the faith in me if I had the ability to do it and I did it myself? Then that means I might not come through tomorrow. This is one of the weaknesses in provisionism. We can choose to act between available options. Mm -hmm. Um, I can act to fulfill this desire or this desire or this desire, but I'm the determiner because I'm the moral free moral agent. So I'm making a determination and I don't believe God is the one who ultimately determines my determination. That would make Mm -hmm. him responsible for the things that I choose. And I don't want him to be blamed for my sin. And now on that 
specific point, I actually think we have a contradiction not only in his theology, but in anybody who is a, quote, provisionist or an Arminian, somebody who rejects these ideas that God has chosen us. And I'll unpack that for you in a couple of minutes with another video of Leighton speaking about where faith comes from. This is the thing that non-Calvinists can't answer, at least not well. So that that's really, I think, one of the biggest quandaries that Calvinism creates is that it makes God seem like the author of sin, because right. ultimately it's got God determining by factors beyond the agent's control, sin and evil and choices that he can't ultimately control, and yep. thus people are ultimately condemned for something beyond their control. Yeah, not really. Uh, actually, uh, Calvinism completely rejects the idea that God is the author of any form of sin. Um, and again, this this kind of comes back to a, this, this is the way this makes me feel, as opposed to this is what these people actually teach and or what the Bible teaches. I mean, what do we do with passages of scripture, such as the idea that God hardened Pharaoh's heart? I mean, even if Pharaoh didn't choose God and he initiated it, why on earth would God kick him while he was down? Why would God push him farther into the darkness? So there you have it. I've kind of unpacked some of the issues. This is a very big topic, and it's hard really to discuss in the context of one video. You can actually get my book on the topic called Doctrines of Grace. It's available on Amazon. It unpacks the five points of Calvinism so that you can live in the freedom of what God has done. But again, what are some of the hypocrisies that we see taking place in this viewpoint? This viewpoint that doesn't see God's sovereignty in our election, that doesn't acknowledge what the Bible teaches in this regard. If I'm going to speak for myself as a Calvinist and what it means to me, why I believe in the doctrines of grace, why I believe in tulip. It's because for me, from a logical standpoint, it makes the most sense of where faith comes from. And so this is a question I might pose to you as the thinker, as the Bible student. Where does faith come from? How does the gospel, when it is proclaimed to a group of people, have the ability to produce in some faith and in others unbelief? And what caused that faith that you have? It's like I've said to people many times, I didn't wake up one day and decide to follow Jesus. The process of me becoming a Christian was a lengthy one, and I'm sure the same is true for you. You saw ways that God was working in your life and you knew that you not only didn't want to say no, but you couldn't. Who could resist the work of God? Remember what Jesus said, all those whom the Father draws will come to me. And I think this really gets to the heart of the issue on predestination and election. These words that we see in the Bible and we see that these things were determined long before we were even born. Why is it that I came to know Christ and someone else who I grew up with, that I attended school with, didn't? It's the purpose and the plan of God. And most importantly, it's God's regenerative work in my heart. Again, getting back to what the Apostle Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In theological terms, this idea of being born again in your heart before you express faith that enables you to express faith, this is referred to as regeneration precedes justification. It's really sort of a foundational principle in the Bible, I think, and certainly for Calvinism. It's something that the provisionists reject, but in my opinion, it creates a big hole in their theology. Listen to Leighton Flowers and this debate that he had with Joel Webin talking about where he thinks faith comes from. So I see Ephesians 2, 
8 9, like, for grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the, the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I see both the grace and faith being a gift. You can see the grace as a gift, the faith not. Faith is well, not I, I have no problem even referring to faith as a gift. How, I so just, how is faith a gift? A gift from God? Yeah, I mean, my next breath is a gift from God. I mean, everything that we have, any ability I have is a gift from God, but it's not an effectual gift given to some people and withheld from all other. Okay, so this, I think, is the hole in the Arminian's theology. You can't explain faith. Where does faith come from? Faith, to me, scripturally, seems to be the cry of the regenerate, human soul to God. Who gave that gift to us and where did it come from? Doesn't an Armenian, doesn't a provisionist ultimately believe in election just like the Calvinist does? Especially if they say that faith is a gift. Man, that's what these teachings of election, of predestination, of Calvinism have done in my heart and in my life. For some reason, it rubs some people the wrong way, but for me, it actually has helped to produce more fruit. The security that I have in Jesus makes me want to serve him more, makes me want to be a better Christian every day. By the way, don't forget to like and subscribe to this channel if you haven't done so already. You can also go to PastorAJ.com where you can find more of my resources, books that I've written on this topic and others, including eschatology. Go ahead and sign up for my weekly email newsletter while you're there and contribute financially if God puts it on your heart. Listen to my friend Don talk about how he became a Calvinist and what the doctrines of grace mean to him. And it was definitely against what I considered back in that time. And this, I'm talking years and years ago. And we had a Bible study on this. And to be honest with you, it was like my mind exploded. I mean, I couldn't believe the how many pieces of uh, literature, how many places in the Bible that it was about Calvinism and about how uh, we are chosen by God. I mean, even Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And there's scripture after scripture. I mean, there's not one or two. There's a whole mess of them. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. I mean, I don't know how I missed it. And even uh, when uh, the Israelites were uh, got freed, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, I, and I'm reading in the scripture, he hardened his heart. I'm thinking, how did he harden his heart? I mean, you know, what is going on here? And I would pass over that. But then in the Bible study we had, I seen how God had control over situations and things that for his benefit in our lives as people that love the Lord and are walking with him and doing his will and being born again, we are under his will and he aligns this, this world for us to help us. And that was one of the things with Pharaoh. Pharaoh was against it. Pharaoh didn't want to let the people go, but God through the plagues forced him to let it go. And that's what he did. And it, it was just awesome to realize that God has that control over us that even before we were born, we were pre-elected to be his children. I was constantly worried about losing my salvation. And I know they say, oh, we, there's the unpardonable sin, and that's the only way you're going to lose your salvation. But I, I would worry about, you know, if I would curse or I would do anything that was not right, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my salvation, that uh, this, is, this could happen at any time.
But then as we learned more and as I grew more in God's word and seeing how it was, how he chose us, like it talks about in the Bible that uh, there's the potter makes clay pots. And one pot is for honor and one pot is for dishonor. And how can the pot for dishonor say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Well, we don't have the right to choose whether we're going to be with God or not. He makes that, that uh, choosing, not us. He puts it in our heart to want to be with him, to want to stay with him, to want to walk with him. We don't choose that. He chooses that for us. And now we do have free will. After you're saved or not, either or, you still have free will. If I wanted to jump up and run around this room, I could do that. I have free will. But when it came to salvation, God had pre-elected me before the foundation of this earth to be his child, which for me is mind-blowing. Because when now when I go and I do something that, that I sin, if I get mad or maybe you know road rage or whatever you want to call it that happens, I know that I'm not going to lose my salvation, but I still, I think God chose me, me, a pure mortal that's so flawed, and, and I say, Lord, please forgive me, please, please forgive me, and because I know that God knows how many years ago he said, I'm going to pick you to be my child. Did you choose the time in life that you were going to be born? Did you choose your mother? Did you choose your father? Did you choose your eye color? Did you choose your hair color? Did you choose your sex? Did you choose your height? Did you choose anything when you came into this world? And the answer is, no, you didn't. But God chose it. He chose you to be a woman or a man. He chose to have brown hair or blonde hair. He chose you to be whatever height you are. And he chose everything for you. And so if he chose that, and that's finite, if he, if he did that for you, why would he leave eternity up to you to choose? It's, it's, it's illogical. If you can only have 90 years here, you can't choose that. How in the heck are you going to choose uh, eternal life without him giving it to you first, saying, no, you're going to be my child, and I am going to send the Holy Spirit to come to you, to help you, to bring you to this so that you give your heart to me. He's already chosen us. He's already given us this right to be his child. And what an awesome thing this is to know that God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have worked in tangent with you to bring you to this point where you fall on your knees and say, I accept you as my personal savior. I mean, I think it's just absolutely awesome. So what does all of this mean to you? And what's the implication of the stuff that we're talking about here? What's the importance of this? How does it influence our desire or lack thereof to share our faith with other people? Being a Calvinist doesn't mean that you don't want to share your faith. It means that you want to share your faith just as much, if not more, than non-Calvinists do. Because we don't know who will receive the gospel message. It's not like they're wearing a t-shirt or they have a certain kind of tattoo whereby we know they'll receive the message. So we go out and we preach to everybody. In addition to that, we preach a gospel that says God is totally powerful, completely effective in his calling of you. If God is calling out to you right now, that is not something you can or will ever resist. He will 
see that work through to completion. Yes, you can say no to him in the short term, but eventually his regenerative power will win out in your soul. And I think if you know him, you know this to be true in your own life. Certainly, I believe the scriptures teach this, but I want to encourage you, like me, to become a Calvinist because Calvinism is awesome. Yeah.